You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash Film School. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In an absurd comedy of errors, the documentary The Prisoner, or How I Plan to Kill Tony Blair, shows us how a freedom-loving Iraqi journalist is mistaken as Tony Blair's would-be assassin and sent to Abu Ghraib prison, where he discovers the true meaning of liberation. With us today are co-directors and producers Michael Tucker and Petra Epperlein. Michael, Petra, welcome to Film School. Your documentary, The Prisoner, is about an Iraqi journalist named Yuris, who we first meet in your previous documentary, Gunner Palace. In that film, Yuris has been arrested and is looking into your camera lens, saying, I'm a journalist. Did you feel a connection at that time? Well, what happened while we were shooting Gunner Palace, the scene where Yunus, the main character in The Prisoner, is arrested, is shown in Gunner Palace, and... That night I had been told what he'd been accused of, you know, planning the assassination of Tony Blair, being uh-huh. involved in um, bomb building. We went into his house, and once the house was searched, they really didn't find anything. And then when I went outside, I saw him on his knees with his brothers, and he looked up at the camera and said, I'm a journalist. And of course, when someone says that, that's kind of supposed to be an international signal of I- I'm operating under you know, different rules. And unfortunately, those rules simply don't exist in Baghdad. You know, I was trying, you know, waiting for him to say, you know, who do you work for? You know, who can I call? And before he could say anything, he was taken away. So, of course, that always stuck with me. You know, who was this person? Who did he work for? You know, how is it possible that he was involved in this plot? And the only information we ever got about him was that he was sent to Abu Ghraib. It was only until the film Gunner Palace came out in theaters that someone recognized him and said, you know, hey, that's my friend from Baghdad. I worked with that guy. And they pointed us back to him. When did you realize you had this second film, too? You had the footage on Eunice. Uh, tell, run us through that. How did that occur? How did this film get started? I went back to Baghdad, and we found Eunice. And this is after he had been released from Abu Ghraib prison. And once we sat down with him, and once we looked at not only my footage of his arrest, but also his materials that he had shot before, during, and, and after the invasion, we realized there really was a film there, because... Even just him looking at that arrest sequence and describing what was happening to his family, it really personified the war, it really uh-huh. put a human face on it. This wasn't just like another piece of footage. You know, this was someone's life, and it was so powerful to have him describe in the minute detail what was happening inside of the house. His father was being you know, pulled away into the garden you know, in his underwear in the middle of the night, and it had such an em- emotional resonance. How difficult was it to film this documentary? How perilous is Iraq for for a filmmaker these days? I mean, right now at this moment, I would say that it's probably impossible. And certainly the last time... With Gunner Palace, you were there, obviously. Gunner Palace in the beginning, you know, it it was kind of... You know, Baghdad's been a little bit like cooking a lobster. You know, you put it alive into the water and heat it up. And I don't think you could ever... No one knew what was going to happen. The last time I was there just to see Yunus, it took three days just to get from the airport into the center of the city. That's how horrible the security situation was. I know we were reading the newspaper this morning, and John McCain apparently said that he went to a market in downtown Baghdad and was talking about how great security was. And then they interviewed the shopkeepers, and they were like, yeah, it's really great when you have 100 armored Humvees (laughs) around you and Apaches flying overhead and everyone's wearing body armor. 
you know, just to go out and shoot something like that, you know, this is a major, you know, it's a major operation. So certainly, it's not easy, but more than our involvement, you know, Eunice, you know, really went out on a limb to tell his story, and he really wants people to know what, not, what, what happened to him and, you know, to millions of civilians. Was he always willing to talk uh, from the first time you uh, contacted him? He was a little bit reluctant without having seen me face-to-face. Mm-hmm. And once we met and once we looked at this footage and once he knew that we would tell his story from his perspective, you know, he really wanted to tell it. He you know, was a journalist throughout his detention. I mean, while he was in Abu Ghraib prison, he kept notes, in fact, you know, on his underwear, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the names of people who died there. And you know, I think he was always had prepared himself to tell the story somehow. He's a journalist, and he, mm. he means it, and he lived it. You've come up with a very creative and interesting device in this film, the transitions, and some of the, and to really give the, the film a great depth. And uh, Pedro, I know you worked on some of the illustrations. Where did you come up with that idea? What was, how did that come about? Well, number one, usually people use reenactments in documentaries. We don't like that very much because mm-hmm. it blurs the line between reality and fiction way too much. Mm-hmm. And then it uh, appeared that Eunice, the way he was talking about uh, his stays in various prisons, he had to describe the people very much in a way like you would describe comic book characters. So we somehow came up with a metaphor to use um, comic book illustrations, because comic books are classically always about the fight between good and evil, and we thought this matches our theme, Eunice, the innocent person being in prison, very well. This is where the idea came from. You say Comic book, but yeah, Eunice had a great sense of humor too. Because at one point he's describing, you know, that he's not James Bond or Clint Eastwood, and his whole situation there—the fact that they suspected him of planning to kill Tony Blair—it added a nice element to bring those illustrations in. As you've titled it, or how I plan to kill Tony Blair. Looking back, as as the film reveals how this came out about, how this came to be a charge against Eunice and his brothers is really an open question. I mean, we don't even really know why that even happened. The it's, other great element, I'm just going to jump in here too, yeah. the the home movies that, that yeah. Uris uh, offered you, when did he offer you those? How did you negotiate getting all that great footage? We met with him a second time. He brought all of his material and kind of dumped it out on a bed and you know said, this is my life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have a look at it. And there was such, some of it, you know, probably if it was three years ago, a lot of it you would say this footage it wouldn't have meant anything. But you know, there were still photographs of of the bombing of Baghdad that were incredible. Yeah. You know, here was this person sitting on his rooftop taking pictures as buildings next door were exploding and that sort of thing to, you know, footage of a wedding party the night that he's arrested where, you know, he's dancing with his brothers, everyone's having a good time, and literally three hours later, you know, they were pulled into um, interrogation. And then the most amazing part is seeing these guys after they were released from Abu Ghraib their homecoming, and, you know, you see a, a Eunice who looks like he's aged about 10 years. Yeah, he's yeah. gaunt, he has a beard, um, his brothers look completely destroyed, and there you see them on video meeting their mother, who has also really aged. You know, she, she, you know four of her sons were sent away to prison, um, you know, three of them spent almost, almost nine months in detention. You know, sadly, that, that in fact killed her in the end. She died about a year ago. Oh. Uh. There is some really amazing stuff really from Eunice's perspective in the film that I think is you know, absolutely uncommon. Let's get into the places that Eunice and his brothers ended up. Yeah, the most famous Yeah, the most famous two words in Iraqi prison history are Abu Ghraib and that's where he ended up. We are talking with Michael Tucker, Petra Eberlein. The film is The Prisoner or How I Plan to Kill 
Tony Blair. I guess the best entree into Abu Ghraib would be uh, Army Specialist Benjamin Thompson, who he met there and who became very good friends with him. Could you talk a little bit about that relationship and, and how you came to interview uh, Thompson later on? We had finished one cut of the film that basically told Eunice's whole story. That cut was going to go to the Toronto Film Festival, and right before we were leaving, I got an email from a young soldier named Ben Thompson saying, um, I just watched your film Gunner Palace. I recognized that prisoner. He was my prisoner at Abu Ghraib for, I guess, about five months. And I was extremely close to him and his brothers. You know, these people are like, are like family to me. And that absolutely blew us away. So we got him on the phone, invited him up to Toronto. We met him. He talked about his experiences. And then he you know, agreed to go on camera and tell the story, which is you know, absolutely unbelievable of these guards and these prisoners trying to make the best of, of, of the situation in this you know, absolutely nightmarish place. There's a section of the film that you, you get into, or the description of how Eunice was able to keep order and maintain a sense of, uh, a sense, sense of dignity for these prisoners. Eunice was one of the few prisoners that spoke good English, so he was nominated by the guards to be more or less the camp chief, you know, someone who would be the prisoner's representative who they could come to when they had problems or the prisoners, you know, would go to him with their problems. And he was kind of the um, intermediary. And he really did make a huge difference in this camp in, you know, quelling the violence. These people were being attacked. The food situation was terrible. There there was a complete lack of medical care. You know, people were dying, you know, weekly in these camps. And there were, you know, thousands of these people. And he somehow managed to you know, keep things under control. He was in a, a not a high intelligence area, nicknamed Gansey, was it? Right, I mean, Gansey, I mean, what most of us know about Abu Ghraib is the hard site. The hard site is, uh-huh. you, know, the, you know, the concrete prison where the abuse photos were taken. But that's where about, you know, only 5% of the prisoners were actually in that part of the prison. Most of them were living in tents. At the highest level, I think there were almost 6,000 prisoners living in tents at Abu Ghraib, you know, out, you know, completely exposed in courtyards. Gansey was, I think, eight tented compounds with 700 prisoners each. Wow. Uh, the ratio of guards was 100 to 1. I mean, absolutely. I mean, the army itself later called these conditions deplorable. Yeah. I mean, in the reports, it was just, you know, stunning to see the army itself being that critical of itself. There were, there were nothing short of internment camps. Well, justifiably. It was an hard on itself. You talk about the intelligence value of these prisoners, and there was an admission on the part of one of the military I read, basically saying, we have no idea what the intelligence values of most of these people. Here's somebody who apparently uh, tried to assassinate Tony Blair, who's in the not the high security <laughs> segment of the prison. Well, they're, they're, you know, their vetting system was completely screwed up. I mean, <laughs> quite simply... You know, people could get picked up for, you know, the equivalent of a drunk, drunk driving offense and end up in Abu Ghraib prison in one of these tented camps and spend six months there. And there was very little judicial process going on. But at the same time, there was very little done to separate kind of the good guys from the bad guys. So once someone had written that charge on Eunice's top sheet, you know, on his file, yeah. that just followed him around, you know, everywhere he went. They were like, you know, you're the guy that wanted to kill Tony Blair. And they would go and interrogate him again. At the same time, the place where he was really was for prisoners. Yeah. They decided they had no intelligence value. So in the end, most of his time in detention was just simply waiting to be released. He really comes through this film as a remarkable person in the sense that he doesn't seem to hold a tremendous amount of anger or animus 
He wants to move on with his life. He wants the people of, of his country to be in a better place. The film is The Prisoner, or How I Plan to Kill Tony Blair, Michael Tucker, Petra Epperline. Thanks for being on Film School. Thank you for having me. Thank you. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.